George, you want to stay on the call and uh, walk through saving your file? Or are you gone? Unfortunately, George didn't take less up on his offer. George's recording didn't work out. We had to use the conference call line for him, and it sounds like he's in a tin can this episode. And I'm currently on an airplane using a crappy headset. So this little bit sounds like I'm in a tin can too. Which I sort of am. Shout out to Clam Air for getting me home safe and surprisingly on time. You want me to say? Because I'm going to start giggling and I'm, uh, I'm going to screw it up okay. so bad. Just say. <laughs> I'm Terry Nord and you're, you're listening to the Snow the Day spot. Podcast. Okay. I'm Terry Nord. And what am and I you're supposed listening to, to the Snow Day Podcast. <laughs> I'm Terry Nord and you're listening to the Snow, Snow Day, Day Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's April 2019. We look back on a few of our favorite topics in episode 25. Oh, I think he was just fucking around. I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't ready either. It's episode 25. We've been waiting for this day. I think I've been anxious to do one of these. What do you call this? A time, not a timestamp. Oh, a milestone. So a milestone episode. We're at number 25. What we're going to do is look back on the 25 or more pods that we've done up till now. Each one of us is going to pick one podcast, something that we want to reflect back on or something where maybe our views have changed a little bit and we want to revisit that. Or if we still have an inner rage, I'm looking at you, George. Just before we look back, a very short look back on our last podcast, I told the story of Terry Nort and I doing mouth-to-mouth as uh, part of our life-saving training at the Nortplex pool. I work with her. I said, hey, I want you to listen to this just so that you kind of don't hear it somewhere else so you're not surprised, kind of like a full disclosure. Hard kick in the nuts, boys. She didn't remember. I didn't make much of an impact on Terry. Oh, I'm so sorry, Bruce. Oh. Oh. Yeah, she's all, who are you again? Who are you? <laughs> and then I think to add like insult to injury, she said, she, the next day she kind of came back to me and she said, you know, I listened to the, all of that episode and she was sort of cursing us actually for bringing back lots of memories. She said, when I listen to you guys, it, it brings back a flood of memories for me too. And she said, I remember doing that mouth to mouth with Deidre Dixon, but not with you. Oh, <laughs> I don't know snap. what that means. Oh, oh sting. Snap. <laughs> Oh, man. We got our first ever email at snowdaypod at gmail.com from audience development Todd's dad, Harwood's dad. It came the day after we recorded the pod, but he shares some memories of the Nordplex pool that are so great, we wanted to drop them in here. Here's some thoughts from Harwood's dad. Hi, guys. Love the podcasts. Always get a lift. Beyond the uses of the pool you mention, many youth organizations that plan visits to Thompson often considered the availability of the Norplex as a real bonus. During my years in Thompson, I was involved with Scouts Canada. For a period of time, the local association hosted the Great Northern Campery. At its peak, youth traveled from all over Manitoba, Churchill, Gillam, Split Lake, Flinflaw and the Paw, Southern Manitoba. Troops from Boy Scouts America came from North Dakota, South Dakota, Minneapolis. They built a swimming activity into their programming. So after spending four or seven days in the bush covered in wood smoke and bug juice, 
A quick trip to town for a warm shower was a real bonus. Much appreciated by the leaders also. Similarly, a sister organization, Girl Guides Canada, arranged rail visits from Winnipeg and area to Churchill. Similarly, after the train ride back to Thompson, a refresh at the Norplex pool prior to the drive back south was welcomed by all. A long-winded way to say that although the Norplex was not the reason these groups visited, it was assuredly a pleasant part of their memories of Thompson. Keep up the good stuff, Harwood's dad. The other one that came up in a couple places was the water skiing at the Norplex pool. For a while, they taught water skiing in the pool where people ran down the side with two ropes and they taught you how to get up. Yes, they did. I remember that. Did you actually take that, Lester? I I didn't. Producer Mike said, yeah, I totally remember learning how to water ski at the Norplex pool. Did any of you guys do that one? No, I didn't take, I didn't actually participate in it, but I remember watching it. They had a tow rope that they wrapped around the pillar under the three meter springboard, and then they would run down and and use it sort of as a as a pulley. <laughs> it was pretty funny to watch, actually. Shortest shortest ski run in history. The other wrinkle that Harold Smith threw to me that I thought was just brilliant was we should close the Gordon Beard Arena, which is our second arena. You guys know the smaller one. Should not put ice in it next year. Put in the largest above ground pool or two above ground pools that we can get our hands on and leave them in there and open that as the pool until we build a new one. And by putting that squeeze on the ice users, I think we would create a bit of a sense of urgency. It's a neat idea. It is a neat idea. Here's the disclaimer. This is gonna be a little unprofessional. There's gonna be some swearing. Some place between a locker room and a church gathering. Nothing we'd be embarrassed to play for our kids or our parents. That's kind of the zone. If you can live with that, welcome aboard. If not, thanks for giving it a try. Four friends trapped in a virtual living room by a virtual snowstorm. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. I just, I wish we would have been harder on those little fuckers and school teachers that take snow days. Speaker, author, and leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. I'm glad we got, I'm glad we got that out. That feels so good. Entrepreneur and guy's son, Leslie Hansen. Does anybody else agree that the Canada food guy just fucking sucks? And me, I'm Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. The stuff episode, I want to go back to stuff and mostly just because that had such a huge effect on me. It's funny, I can't move through my life now without, I hate to say it, but sort of judging how much stuff other people have or or don't have. I feel terrible when I have too much stuff. Like it's, it's this has been really hard on my head. I'd be rich. Let's do a check-in, Lester. I'm going to throw to you first. Uh, what you've been up to the last two, three weeks? It's been a little while since we recorded one, so you, you probably got some material for us. Uh, yeah, I think other than just sort of readying myself and, and jumping into the uh, mix of uh, Raptor playoff basketball, which kicked off last weekend, I think uh, the biggest thing has been spent a fantastic uh, extra-long weekend in Arizona for... Uh, our boy Gerald Chartier's 50th birthday party. Uh, George uh, was down there with me. 
and uh, we had a fantastic Hey-o. time and played some golf, played some tennis, did some hiking in the desert, drank a lot of uh, adult beverages, as they like to say, and uh, had a good little vacation. Yeah, well, one guy's bill was considerably bigger than everybody else's bill, and we still split it, so I'm a bit chafed about that. <laughs> some people drink more than others, so that's kind of funny. Some interesting feedback, so I was talking to my sister Bonnie, some of her students or people she works with going, you know, uh, it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, Les and Steve and your brother are, you know, anting up money for the Norplex pool. And she's all, what are you talking about? <laughs> for this, you know, it's really great that they're like expats from Thompson and they're laying down money. And so I sent her the, uh, the podcast to listen. So yeah, we're on tape of throwing down some money. Hey, Les, let's take it a step further, guys. Let's start. I'll pitch in $1,000 right now. I will match that. I'll match that thousand dollars. That was sort of funny. It was funny that Bonnie is hearing it, you know, that we're serious about it. And yeah, the Phoenix uh, long weekend was fantastic. Perfect weather. And that's sort of been the big highlight. I've actually been off for three weeks of work. I just started working back on Friday. So I've had a lot of leisure. I was a bit chagrined to see Toronto lose at home. That was sad. And the Jets. Both of those things are sad. Yeah, sorry to hear. Calgary lost their second game too, eh? That was... Uh... Tough. Yeah, I don't give a shit about the flames. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good honesty. Stevie D, you at home tonight? Yeah, I'm actually in Winnipeg, Manitoba for a while. I've been spending some time with Zane and Bray. Uh, biggest thing for me, I've just been bouncing around like usual, but been really, really busy. I started a new company that Les has been helping me kind of with over the last little while. It's really exciting. But March Madness this year was phenomenal. Um, it was great to be involved with everybody again. We had a bigger, bit a bigger turnout than we'd had the last couple of years. Hey, Lester, and uh, you know there was yeah. a lot of a lot of upsets, and uh, you know we passed the, the we passed the title to the next generation. So Zane DeGroote won the uh, beat Noel Matson out by one point again. Noel has lost by one point so many years in a row, and this year he lost to Zane. So Zane was pretty stoked about that. Every year we say we should do a March Madness uh, podcast, and every year after March Madness ends, we end up talking about it. <laughs> we on end the up talking about We can never get our shit together in advance. We really need yeah. to do an entire uh, an entire podcast, an oral history of the uh, yeah. March Madness pool that Steve and I have been hosting for about thirty years now. What's amazing about it is this year, you know, like there's but there was a lot of history made this year. It was great to stay connected. I think Jackson and I, Wayne Jackson and I, texted every week. Uh, several days in a row talking about the game. So it was good. What a gem. Okay, we're going to get producer Mike to make some game notes for next year to remind us to do a March Madness pod. So you know how that's going to go. In February. <laughs> tell him it's tell him it's February Madness and maybe we'll get it done by <laughs> April. <laughs> yeah. We'll have a chance. And I bet on a whole bunch of long shots. And I got to admit, fellas, I unplugged a little bit. Pretty sure I was last or close to last. Steve, do you remember? How did the four of us stack up in the pool? I must have been the, I must have been the bottom of the four of us. You know, I can't. I can do a quick check, actually, because uh, I think it's still up. I'll start my check-in while you uh, you check in on that, Steve. So March Madness didn't go well for me. I followed suit, George and Les, a little bit with you, Spring Break. Murph and I did a little grad gift for him, a run out to Vancouver. Three days at Whistler was just phenomenal. I had never been there before and really have barely skied in the mountains, and that place is off the hook. It's not cheap, but you, but you get what you pay for, the views and just everything was there. We lucked out. We had two sunny, blue, just perfect days. And the second day, it 
it was raining in the village and we both woke up with a lip on and a guy in the gondola gave us a little pep talk and said, the reason I'm here is because it's raining, man. It's snowing at the top. And sure enough, partway up the gondola, snow started and there was a foot of powder up top. And then West Coast Living, I think I could get into it. We caught a Canucks game the one night just on the spur of the moment and home team won in a shootout. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. And then we went golfing the next day. Nice. Nice. Really cool. So lots of fun there. I have the fi- the final uh, tally up here for the the Stevie D and Lester V March Madness Tournament. Lay it on us. The, lay it on you? Yep. So Les in 10th place came first out of the four of us. That's all that really matters to me. <laughs> George in 12th place came second. Steve in 15th place came third. And Bruce is one above the loser uh, in 18th place. So Steve, you know that means that you owe me dinner again. Steve and I always have an annual side bet between the two of us. Yeah, every year. Yeah. We either beat each other by one or two places. You uh, you deserve dinner and dessert, my friend. Cue <laughs> <Okay. laughs> George jumping in with a rude remark on that. <laughs> Last thing I got is the Watchmen are coming to Thompson. So driving force in that, shout out to producer Mike, who's on the Nickel Days committee. Uh, He certainly didn't do all of the heavy lifting with that, but has put in a good word for her boys. So if anybody's anywhere close to Thompson on uh, June 22nd, Nickel Days weekend, they are the entertainer. We've moved Trooper out. They can only come so many times. (laughs) Chilliwack wasn't available. (laughs) (laughs) Street heart. Yeah, at April Wine, we're all getting hip surgery, so we had to go with the Watchmen. going to, like I said, pick one of the pods and uh, have a little bit to say about something that stuck with us, something that we wish one of those things from Seinfeld. I wish I would have said jerk store. The jerk store called and they're all out of you. All out of you. You know, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, Riley? (laughs) Well, the jerk store called. I had actually kind of forgot about a couple of these episodes. It's like when you hear someone in a band say they wrote a song and then kind of forgot about it or didn't know the words anymore. And I thought that just couldn't happen. But uh, we've actually put out a fair bit of content. So here they are in order from from one to the very last one. So we did the snow day, the original pod. From our world headquarters at 15 Sturgeon. This is Snow Day, a podcast. We did kids in sport, safety, technology, the vegetarian episode, public transit, work-life balance, being Canadian. We did the weed episode, the hip, helicopter parents, Christmas, political correctness, Olympics, when I grow up, Facebook, the stuff episode, summer, Thanksgiving, charity, crime, comfort zone, New Year's, Dr. Rich, and the Norplex pool. Uh, we had the extras. We had Andy Wavy, the Citizen interview with Ian Graham, the Extra Extra with George out at uh, Studio P, the Carrie Brown episode, and we also put out the trailer. So 
that's some content. We got we got a little bit of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. I think, George, I'm going to throw to you to start it off because I, I know what you, you want to talk about. You're going to take us kind of back to the start. And we also didn't hear a lot from you last episode. Somehow everybody had a lot to say. So I, I want to write that wrong. I want to get you some airtime right away. So uh, do it, man. Pick one of the episodes and, and tell us how your views have changed or what your thoughts are. Yeah, well, I think they've actually hardened. So I'm going to go back to the original. <laughs> <laughs> That's a surprise. Is it, is it possible? Is it possible? No, no, it, it, it totally is possible. So I guess I have a, a very personal thing and then specifically regarding the pod. For those who haven't listened from the beginning, this podcast was created because my father passed away, everybody came up, the four of us met, and then we got snowed in and then, you know, this emerged. We're four people that grew up three blocks apart and now we're three two zones apart. A little piece of weather affectionately known as Snowmageddon put us all in the same room for the first time in 10 years. As we sat around with the snow swirling outside and the ice in our cups swirling inside, the Snow Day pod was born. We grew up with largely the same values, but our lives have taken us in very different directions. This leads us to lots of things we have in common, but at times some pretty different perspectives on those things. Interesting conversation when a storm or a podcast brings you together. This is a Snow Day, the pod. All right, Juniper Jaguars, 1984, here we go. And I actually re-listened to the pod driving to and from work today. And it's funny because Les actually talked about doing something about March Madness because we did it during the second and third rounds of March Madness two years ago. <laughs> so it's already been two years. So it's funny yeah. that he just mentioned that. Uh, and then one, I realized, although I did it to you personally, I never sort of formally thanked, uh, you know, the support that you guys gave me. I was listening to this cast, you know, being reminiscent and going, oh yeah, like we got snowed in because these guys like flew in to Thompson because this podcast wouldn't have happened if that didn't happen. So that's sort of a thank you and love you to you guys. And then uh, what I had wished I would have said is I wish I would have used the word pussification because I think I've used it before, but not <laughs> in this context. And I want to hashtag pussification. I want to trademark it for me is, I mean, you guys already know this. It's, it's just the softness of society. So we were obviously arguing about, uh, school, you know, called the snow day, how it affects less in one way and, you know, parents and kids another way. And I had just been noticing how much time my kids have off. They have so much more time off than I do. There is not a single month that they now do not have a long weekend outside of a statutory holiday. They literally go from February five days off for the Luriel long weekend or family day to 10 days in March. And this upcoming weekend, they have Easter, and it's Thursday, Friday, and Monday. Like, it's another five days off. And so I was reflecting on snow day, because when you call snow days, you start taking away their learning. And I don't think kids appreciate that every day you're not at your job, because their only job is to go to school. You lose out. Like, you need time. And so my, I wish I would have said, uh, you know, harder things about uh, the snow day. I mean, I think we're all pretty cranky. But I wish I would have really just dug in and kind of said stuff lending to how we all believe that society is getting soft. We're all becoming butter. It's like all this vanilla vernacular around kids and school and stuff. So I just I wish we would have been harder on those little fuckers and school teachers that take snow days. So that's what I wish I would have said. (laughs) 
wish he could have called the, the little kids fuckers. Well, and now you've said it, so you can feel better. <laughs> I wish I called the little kids fuckers. <laughs> in in, in small it. defense of the teachers, before we move on, Marnie does sweat about missing those teaching days. Like, not to say that all the teachers, I shouldn't say all, many of them also enjoy a snow day because who doesn't love a surprise day off like finding $20 in your pants? But I know more than maybe we think about it, teachers really do worry about how many teaching days they have and how much time they have to get through their curriculum. So, Lester, I want to hear some of your thoughts on this snow day, especially in light of the fact that I feel like you were a little bit on the other side of the coin this winter when Toronto got hit with that huge storm. Uh, Well, Toronto definitely had more snow and more bad weather this winter than probably any year that I've lived here. But I don't think my feelings on the snow day concept in general have changed much. Again, because as I said, you know, back then, not having kids, it's um, my life doesn't get impacted at all by what goes on at schools. In fact, half the time, I, I don't even know, like my employees will have to point out, no, it's actually spring break. We can't do that that week or stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I don't know. Things haven't changed too much for me. I don't think, uh, I, you know, I, I think George is going to have trouble trademarking the word pussification. I have a feeling that that's already been tagged by somebody. In, in general, I support anything that uh, continues George down his path to becoming a grumpy old redneck Alberta man. So I think it's, I think it's good that he got his two cents in there. I'm going to call you out for one second then because you... Uh, sent your staff home early one day this winter. I remember texting back and forth with you just saying public transit is going to be an absolute mess. The town's going to shut down. So as a, basically as a courtesy to your employees, you kind of shipped everybody out at lunchtime or one o'clock or something like that. But Yeah, it, that, that, that's true. It doesn't fit with our old man grumpiness, though. You should have just said <laughs> tough shit. I don't care if it takes you till 11 o'clock to get home. That's your problem, not mine. And then you, then you add, get out of here, little fuckers. There's a deeper part of that story, though, because I woke up that morning to all these news reports that basically the entire city was shut down because there was this incredible storm coming. And I realized that the day before, when every other competent manager was telling his staff to stay home, I didn't say a word to them. So I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's, eight, it's eight o'clock in the morning and I'm like, fuck, I can't like cancel work now because they'll all be on their way to the office already. So I went to the office knowing that everybody would come to work and then said, yeah, sorry, I'm the shittiest boss in Toronto and you're the only people who came to work today. I guess you can all go home now. <laughs> <laughs> and then I drove a bunch of people to the subway. <laughs> I, had, I think I had six or seven people in my car and I drove, we drove to the closest subway station and I, uh, everybody piled out and went their separate ways. <laughs> well, they can thank God, George, wasn't their boss any thoughts on the rest of that steve before uh, we move on snow day remembering that that week uh for sammy's funeral and the time that we spent together uh was 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 amazing i'm not surprised that george has hardened his views on snow day <laughs> i think i'm so solidly in the middle now I, like i mean i'm a bit of a manager at work and so i I mean, I want a free pass day off too, but just how do, how do you handle it with vacation and all that? It's it's a hard one. So I, I don't like them. I fall more towards George than anybody who likes a snow day. DVD, how about if I go to you? What uh, Which episode do you want to go back to? What do you want to talk about, man? Well, you know, the one, it's funny because when we talk about where this le- was going to go to, when we started this, I didn't think anybody but us was going to listen to it. So you may not be surprised if I bring up the vegetarianism one because I railed pretty hard. I railed pretty hard 
uh, not not really against people who choose to be vegetarians, but people who choose to be vegetarians for what I would say are not the right reasons. Again, judgmental that way. So, you know, that's the one. I mean, it's the one that I think I laughed the hardest. Uh, and also, you know, something that you guys know about me is I love red wine and red meat. And to, to have to to have to change those things. I haven't changed my position on that. If I had to, you know, for health reasons, stop one or two of them or both at the same time, I need to go on suicide watch and safety checks periodically. Um, <laughs> but I think if I could take one thing back, I think, you know, some of my violent references to... Uh, to punching you guys in the face, uh, I probably would have dialed back a bit because I ran into somebody that was an old friend. I'll say, I'll keep her name. And she goes, yeah, I'm really liking the podcast. She goes, you know, that, that vegetarian one was entertaining, but it kind of concerned me. I've never heard you talk like that before. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that was pretty light, actually. So, um, yeah, that's that's about it. I mean, I feel the exact same way. I probably could have taken the edge off of the violent references somewhat. But no, it was uh, it was good. When I go back and listen to those ones, that one's one of my fondest, for sure. I still flinch every time I have vegetables, just worried that you're someplace close to me. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, case in point, right? <laughs> it, it was too yeah. much. I'd throw this to you, and, and I'd also be curious to throw this one to, to Les, because I, I feel like it's a bit of a big city thing, but I feel like there's more and more people that are choosing more vegetable options than before. And I don't know if that's just because that's a little bit my world and I keep a closer eye on it, or whether that's going on. I mean, the New Canada Food Guide, George, you probably sort of saw some of this at your work. New Canada Food Guide just came out, and it really has changed from such strong recommendations to just basically saying, you know, you should have more vegetables and you should try some protein options that aren't meat. And so are, do you guys see that, especially in the city, that the, there's more of a focus on it? Is that a flash in the pan or is that just me looking for it? Just still looking for friends, just like uh, grade eight? Well, I think I noticed that people are making better health choices in general. I I would say that even since we recorded it, I don't hear the whole fashionable vegan, vegetarian, avo toast kind of, you know, it's not as prevalent anymore. As a matter of fact, when people bring it up, you know, whether it's pescatarian or this, you see people kind of like lay low a little bit. I think, you know, I think that's kind of passed somewhat, but I do notice people making better choices in terms of just eating more vegetables and just, you know, wanting to feel better health-wise for sure. Can, can I throw out a, a comment and I will risk offending any of you or any of the listeners. Does anybody else agree that the Canada food guy just fucking sucks? <laughs> like seriously, what, what the fuck is that thing? The Canada food guide? Like, is it the most useless piece of shit that health canada publishes like whoa wow those, <laughs> honestly <laughs> it's like a, it's it's the most generic vague non-advice <laughs> advice you could ever give anybody like yeah like steve is steve's correct it basically said this year yeah you know what eat more fruits and vegetables probably a good thing for you well, like yeah. no, no fucking, fucking kidding it. you know you know and like, i wonder how many people less were reading that and thought wow that sounds like i never thought of that one <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, I mean, Christ, it's like something that back in the 70s when nobody had access to the to information because we had two television channels and no internet, yeah. it probably mattered. But the yeah. fact that our government still puts resources into publishing that thing and then the amount of news coverage that it garnered when it came out this year, I just thought was absurd. It's like yeah. it's education at like a grade 3 level. The, the one thing I found interesting is that there have been a lot of news articles written about how those guidelines are economically straining to low-income people, 
which I think is maybe more important. But that might be the one important thing from a, in terms of benefit to society that comes out of that guide being published is if it starts to stir up thought like, what the fuck have we done wrong as a society when it's expensive to eat healthy and cheap to eat shitty? Like, obviously, that's something that needs to course correct in a, in a major way. There, okay, so, so there's my rant. There's my grumpy old man rant for the day. <laughs> that was stunning passion. I, I agree with the, the one piece of that that I did like was that, it, and maybe this is my hippie self coming through a little bit, wasn't even quite so much around the recommendations on what to eat, but some of the things that went beyond that, like saying eat together, eat with your family, eat with friends, because there's mental health benefits to that. And um, likely you're cooking. And so you're eating a little bit better and you're taking your time and, and some of those things. So some of the steps where it went beyond just saying, you know what, you should eat more broccoli every day was good. But at the same time, sort of what you're saying, Les, now all of a sudden we're just into some sort of a hippy-dippy essay that somebody wrote about <laughs> how our world can be better. Yeah. So yeah, like, it, it's, yeah. it's not really a guide for much anymore. It's just like a, like a healthy living lecture. So Yeah. And it's just at such, it's at such a low level. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's the most basic information. Like really, it's like at a grade three knowledge level of food and nutrition. I don't know. It just pissed me off. No, it's funny that you said that because from the medical perspective, that's exactly what it is. It is a useless document. It's a waste of yeah. money. It's, again, the theme I was saying with just sort of the vanillaization of our society, that the inability to give actually direct advice, like in, in an, it's a non-offensive document. But you do bring up the two most important points is your socioeconomic class is completely related to both your physical, your mental, and other well-being, is if you don't have money, then you can't spend, you know, $12 on kombucha and avocado toast. So that's interesting that you point that out, because that's actually been recognized in the medical literature forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these really she-she whole foods, like, you know, Bruce, you were just in uh, Vancouver. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat without some high-end, you know, food store on every corner with a Starbucks and it's like ridiculous to pay $15 for like broccoli. (laughs) So that's true. The socioeconomic class, it should not be even to buy bread, even to go buy a nice loaf of bread is now like five or $6. It's stupid. And then it's interesting that you say about the mental aspect of it. I now reflect on why my father, since we're talking about how this, this snow podcast was created. The only thing that would piss him off, is if you didn't show up for dinner. Like, it was hard to get my dad mad, but that would get him mad. And now I know why. It's because he realized the importance of sitting down as a group and eating, and so many cultures value that, and it's almost completely gone from North American culture, and I do that. I mean, I insist on the kids and us all eating together, and when I was in Portugal with my family a couple of uh, years ago, when I took my mom and my kids, it just, even my kids noticed saying, you know, wow, dad, like we really eat together here. Like they just, they noticed it. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree with you. I echo, I echo your comments. No, I, I was, I was laughing about somebody swinging a hemp bag of avocados, George, in uh, Whistler. <laughs> it was- George, it's kind of interesting uh, that you mentioned the whole socioeconomic class, because in my work right now and doing health promotion, so talking about making people healthier, One of the biggest things that we're pushing right now is this push called get your benefits. And so it's having low income people that normally wouldn't file an income tax return do that 
because there are so many benefits that you can get from the government beyond getting some money back. So if you said, I'm not getting any money back anyway, so why would I file my income tax or I don't owe any money? By registering, you can now get child tax benefits and all sorts of other things that come with that. And you can end up twenty or $30,000 a year richer just by doing that. And uh, the health authorities are realizing that that money goes, you need money to be healthy. In, sadly, mm-hmm. that's, that's the easiest step to do it. And getting your benefits is one of the easiest ways to, to actually bring some money into your household. So that's sometimes a hard leap to make that we're going to make you healthier by doing your income taxes. But it's a it's pretty neat, pretty neat program. I wrapped that around. Lester, I think you're up now. What, what you got? Where do you want to go, man? Well, speaking of hemp. <laughs> speaking of hemp, when I went back through the list, there was one that jumped out to me that I thought we needed to come back and touch on. That's because way back when we did a pod where we talked about the impending legalization of marijuana in Canada, we had kind of an interesting conversation about it. Because at that time, I think the government was moving towards uh, legalized recreational adult use of cannabis in Canada, but it hadn't uh, become law yet. In fact, when we were talking about it, uh, it was still proposed that it was going to happen last year on July 1st. We had a a wide array, I think, of views on that. We did take a vote. We did a yes-no vote should uh, marijuana be legalized. It passed on the pod by a three-to-one vote. Bruce, you were the one no vote on the pod. You got voted down by George, Steve, and I. <laughs> much, much as the uh, much as the opposition parties in uh, the legislature did when the Liberals passed it. So on October seventeenth of this year, Canada did become the first major Western country to legalize recreational use of cannabis, and uh, it's interesting because I think. When you look back at it now, it's about six months ago now that it has happened. The run-up to it, obviously, was tons of media, tons of political discussion, panic and concern from a number of uh, different interest groups, demanding that it must happen from you know the, the uh, activist groups that were for it. Uh, and here we are six months after legalization, and I think all that I could say is uh, that if you took the temperature of Canadian society right now, I think most people would admit, yeah, nothing's different. (laughs) Like nothing really (laughs) changed. It really has not impacted life. And uh, it hasn't been, you know, this huge uh, event that everybody kind of thought it would be. It's been an exceptional economic event for the country. There's a tremendous amount of of capital uh, generation that's occurred on the uh, Canadian Stock Exchange as a result of Canada sort of front-running the rest of the world, which is all clamoring now to get in line behind us. I think it's, um, when when you look at the political, the global political climate right now, it's just like dominoes falling sort of one country after another. And I think we will see, you know, over the next three to five years, uh, a continued march towards uh, some level of, at least decriminalization, if not legalization, in, in most Western countries. And uh, Canada will look back and, and at some point proudly say we were a front runner in that. Interestingly, one of the things that we talked about on the pod that we had pretty different views on was how much of an impact it would have on usage. George taking the medical position, you know, obviously with a heightened concern and being a, a parent with a heightened concern for increased usage was uh, probably the most concerned, the most adamant that legalizing would lead to an increased uh, use in society. 
Well, in February of 2019, Statistics Canada published their first post-legalized uh, post-legalization stats, and they were interesting because basically the StatsCan uh, numbers on usage support my statement that nothing has changed. Basically, nothing has changed. The number of people over the age of 15 in Canada that reported using cannabis stayed almost exactly the same at 15%. The number that said they would likely use it in the next three months increased slightly. You know, people probably saying, yeah, you know, I don't smoke weed, but now that it's legal, I might. So that went up a little bit. But in general, not much has changed in society. And uh, I think that that's, that's kind of neat. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll toss in, there were a couple of interesting things we learned on that pod that we should revisit. One was the fact that Bruce had never smoked weed. We laughed at you and we thought you were in the minority. And uh, as it turns out, you are actually in the majority because according to Statistics Canada, 55% of Canadians over the age of 15 have never smoked marijuana. Oh. So Bruce was actually in the majority. So Bruce <laughs> gets the point, they, uh, point at less Bruce gets and a, laugh. Yep, Bruce... Yeah. Bruce gets a point back that we took away from him. So he gets that point back. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that I'm average. That's just sort of yeah. what I shoot for in life. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well done, Bruce. Well done. Top of the bell curve. Yeah. So less that yeah, report, so... will it reconcile, will you reconcile your, your useless piece of shit comment with the Canada food guide when 10 years from now, they're suggesting not vegetables, but maybe just smoking pot a little bit. Maybe you should just smoke a little pot with those vegetables. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, I, I would say with the exact same level of, uh, of ferocity that the federal government has put out a bunch of just nonsensical bullshit that pertains to cannabis as well. So maybe yeah. it's just a trend within. Yeah. Uh, within maybe you're just Canada angry at uh, in general. Reports. You know, they just they just put out a bunch of shit, like just a bunch of nonsense. Two other things, because I, I re-listened to that pod this morning and I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, shit, I really like going back and listening to our old our old pods there. I, I find them a lot more entertaining to listen to sort of a year or two years later. But another interesting thing that we learned in that pod uh, that I should remind our listening audience is that George always has $50 cash in every one of his vehicles. Money, like hard cash. I always have like 50 bucks in my car. So if you're <laughs> ever, <laughs> if you're ever short of parking change, just <laughs> look for one of George's cars. <laughs> and the other thing is, we spent some time on that pod. We were laughing, talking about who should be the first official guest on the pod. And we kind of uh, unanimously, but not officially, decided that it should be Guy Hansen because we were having so many Guy Hansen uh, yeah. uh, little hot takes back then. And then without even actually discussing it, Bruce, it just ended up being Guy Hansen because when we did the <laughs> Carrie Brown podcast, he did it with us. So he ended up being sort of the, the first uh, official guest on the pod. So we sort of... Uh, backdoored our way into being correct on that uh, on that forecast on that one as well so all in all i think that was a it was a pretty good pod you don't find guy hansen guy hansen finds you. <laughs> i couldn't agree with you more or less i feel like i was probably the most hypersensitive guy just probably more curious than anything to see how the world would change and it's been an absolute non-story for me and my life. I've even been a little bit, or not my life, but our circle of friends and our group, it's just, it's really been a, a nothing. And I was even a little bit surprised, like you said, that there weren't a few either parties or events or something where people said, oh, it's legal now, we should, you know, I haven't done this for 20 years, but it's legal now, so why wouldn't we? I haven't even really seen that. A retort. I have a retort to both of your comments. Let's have it, Georgie. Let's hear it, Georgie. I'll tell you what the retort is. is 
the reason why it's been a non-issue for us is because it was never an issue. Uh, we That is not part of our normal life. What is an issue is, I will tell you, in in my world, there's a clear uptake of that. The number of people that now either spontaneously tell me about marijuana use because it's no longer shame, or the increased amount of marijuana use in the emergency department and with polypharmacy psychosis, there's no question it has gone up. And when they interview people to say, is there an increase? They're not interviewing the people who regularly do marijuana. Like that's the whole selection bias of that kind of. So I, I believe that the results that they got in that February are correct in the people that they asked. But I have no doubt, and my colleagues have no doubt, there's an uptake of marijuana. Now, mm-hmm. it's jaundice because we take care of sick people. So I may be taking care of more marginalized people, definitely more people with mental health issues. So I know that I have a different skew on it. But yeah, you guys haven't seen anything because it never touches you. It touches me, and there's an increased use. I, I, that is fantastic. Me, me and you are on, on the two ends of that spectrum. Yeah, George, recognize that you're putting up your personal anecdotal statistical measurement there up against Statistics Canada, which, you know, for, for right or wrong, is the most credentialed statistical gathering body that we have in the country. So I'm not saying that you haven't seen that in your ICU, but I think that those are kind of two pretty different sets of data. I also think George made a very, very important point, Les. He said, you know, it's now okay to say that you use pot. So when, you know, people are getting interviewed around their health, maybe they just left that piece out because of the uh, stigmatization or the illegalization of it. Whereas now it's just okay to say, I smoke pot. One of the things, one of the most interesting things I I found in that, in that stats can, if you dug into the numbers a little bit more, I think it was either 42 or 46% of people um, purchasing for non-medicinal purposes, which let's be honest, the split between medical and non-medical cannabis use is an incredibly gray line. It's the same product coming out of the same facility being sold to the same people at two different price points, basically. So it's a, it's a very strange sort of metric to use. But the, one of the interesting numbers I thought was that I think it was 46% of people um, who claim to have, to have used uh, non-medicinal marijuana in the last three months said that they, even post-legalization, that they bought it from an illegal source. Yeah. Rock bottom prices, man. Rock bottom prices. Well, one of the things that we talked about on that pod was the fact that pre-legalization, anybody who wanted to get weed could get weed and was getting weed. So legalization didn't even make it more available. It hasn't made the quality better uh, and it hasn't made the price cheaper. So if you're a regular weed user, you probably aren't even buying it legally, (laughs) right? Right. Who is it? It's, It's Dave, man. Will you open up? I got the stuff with me. Who? Dave, man, open up. Dave? Yeah, Dave, come on, man, open up. I think the cops are not here. Anyway, yeah. still an interesting topic, right? Two years later, still an interesting topic. Yeah. Lots of moving pieces yeah, still. For sure. 
Great, great one. I'll finish it with just uh, an honest less. I heard a man on the street describe exactly, not man on the street, a guy I play hockey with, your story about not going to the to the weed store because he has a relationship with a guy that he'd been buying it from for years. The guy brought it to yeah. his house. It's cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and But a lot of it was that relationship, which kind of cracked me up. He's like, yeah, we've been doing this for years, right? <laughs> so why would I change? He it's trusts him. Yeah. I trust yeah. this guy. I know he grows good products. <laughs> totally right, and, yeah. and now he, he counts on my money. Like we, we've got a we've got a deal. So <laughs> yeah, it was kind of it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, my episode that I want to go back on is the Tragically Hip episode. It's been a year and a half, probably a little bit more, since Gord Downey passed away. We did the Tragically Hip episode right in the wake of their final concerts and passing away and all of that stuff and I wanted to go back to this the the biggest reason I want to go back to this is um, as I was editing it down there was a throwaway comment in there and Les you said really the band was Gord and four other guys it was about Gord Downey and I disagree with that and I've been wanting to uh, take that up with you ever since we did the episode only because Gord Downey did a whole bunch of solo CDs he had three or four solo CDs and they didn't sell and I don't know if you tried to listen to them, but they weren't really very good. Uh, or I didn't think so, and they didn't have much commercial success. Uh, and he also performed with the Sadies and with a couple other groups sometimes and really never achieved much of a level of success without them. So I think we have to, this is one of my two points, but we have to give that whole band a little bit more credit maybe than we have up till now. And especially how much we did when Gord Downey uh, was sick and when they were doing the farewell tour, because the whole thing was all about him. And I think really it was mm-hmm. about the band. They were five guys that worked well together and wrote good songs together that he couldn't write by himself. So, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Was, there, was, was that a real thing, Les, or was that just a throwaway comment? Oh, well, maybe, maybe halfway in between. I think, you know, I will, I will give you the fact that you're a, a hip enthusiast. You know a hundred times more about the band and their music than I do. So I think your opinion on... Uh, the other band members and whatnot is much more uh, valuable uh, than mine is. I think my comment was more from a success and commercial visibility standpoint. I think if you took a poll of, you know, a hundred casual hip fans and asked them to name any other member of the band, they would have trouble. Um, I think that's more what my comment was directed to. But but truthfully, that's probably true of of most major bands, right? bands you know you've got a front man and that's kind of the the way the world works in in rock and roll so it wasn't a huge point on my behalf bruce i'm glad you had a uh, you I'm, I'm glad you've gotten a platform to get that off your chest it's obviously been bugging <laughs> you for a while so that's good i sense something i sense the tension since that episode you could cut it with a knife one thing that i would like to come back to was i know i got some heat in our listenership after that podcast um because I made the comment that one of the things that makes the hip Canadian is the fact that they were very successful in Canada and never successful outside of Canada. And I know some listeners, you know, gave me shit for that saying, oh, they were, they really were. Well, I stand on my comments because they were not. They had almost no commercial (laughs) success in the United States. If we need, you know, if anyone wants to challenge me on that, you want to have a one-on-one conversation, we can dig into actual statistics on it but uh i'm not backing off that point they are canada's band and they uh they failed to crack the american market and that's just reality it's not a shot on them i love the hip and i think it makes it i think it makes their story more cool to me and to us as canadians but the facts are the facts they never made it in the u.s 
period. Nah, I, I'll defend those other guys, but uh, and and pick on you a bit for that, Les. But I agree with you a hundred percent that uh, the reality is they didn't make it. And I've sort of been listening back to some history and some stuff talking about the tragically hip, and I, I think they wanted, and even their management would say that they didn't weren't nearly as successful as maybe they had hoped to be or would have liked to be. So I'm I'm uh, with you a hundred percent on that. Kind of takes me to my second point. I think, especially for me, as huge a fan as I am, that the Tragically Hip are fading faster than I expected. I feel like that, not surprisingly, was a big deal at the time and then for a lot of people has disappeared. And the strange thing that I'm having trouble reconciling is I feel a little bit, maybe not uncomfortable, but I don't love some of the music as much as I did before. And I don't know if it's because Gord Downey's gone or something's changed, but it's just, uh, it's kind of strange for me. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you guys think if the tragically really style, I mean, they're not going to be as quite a big a story as they were a summer and a half ago. Are they still super relevant? Are they still Canada's yeah. band or are they fading away? Yeah. Stevie, what do you think? I don't know. I think that's layered. There's a whole bunch of questions there, but Bruce, I don't know. I, I, I believe that there was a big surge when uh, Gord got sick. You know, I, I wonder if you're you know, feeling like, you know, it's fading away a little bit or was there just this huge spike uh, for several, you know, for, for two, two to two and a half years. Right. Uh, and then this big crescendo um, because it was, you know, it was, and I think everybody was reconnecting. It felt like, you know, this big community of people that love the hip. And when really prior to that, prior to the announcement of him getting sick, I feel like it's, it's, it's the same from, from my personal perspective, I listened to the hip way more since that episode. Like I listened to them lots, right? I, I've always loved the hip, but since that episode, I gained a new appreciation for listening to some of the songs I didn't listen to as much. Um, and really listening, I think my reconciliation is with um, getting to know Gord's lyrics, whether they're his or the band's a little bit more, uh, and really appreciating that. So I've actually taken a, a deeper depth with the hip um, since that whole, even prior to him passing. Uh, and I listen to them way more. And I have a greater appreciation for them now than I did before. Right? So that's that's my take. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Super. I'm glad to hear that. George, what's happened with you and the hip between uh, that episode and now? Two comments. One about Les is absolutely right about their commercial success. Bruce has sent me a couple of pods or some suggestions that I've listened to. You know, and the numbers that are thrown out are, you know, millions of records sold in Canada versus tens of thousands in the States. Like, the numbers don't lie. Les is correct. They are Canada's band. They're a blip in the States. So I would agree with that. Two, I think we're feeling the hangover effect with the high of their resurgence and their cross-Canada tour. And it also lends a little bit to some of our, it's kind of like you don't want to meet your heroes. It's also that people that we grew up with that were, in, from our estimation, iconic, are starting to die. You know, Les and I were big W, you know, Les used to sleep over and we'd watch wrestling together. And slowly over the last couple of years, you know, we've been texting each other when Mean Gene Okerlund dies or... King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy died. So this to me is a symbolization is that we're starting to realize our mortality a little bit. When things like this happen, I think, I suspect, Bruce, is that your feeling is mourning. Like I mourn when I... Things that were so important to me as a child, and I'm becoming more and more nostalgic as I get older, when they permanently go away, so they're not there. I'm not reflecting on something. It's now gone. 
I think there's a sadness to it. So I feel a little bit like you. They, they lose relevance only because it's sort of sad for me. With Steve's point, I am listening to a little bit more music to make up for that sadness. Wow. I'm glad to hear you guys are. I think you kind of nailed it, George, is that I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, especially listening to some of the older songs, probably because you're right. I Then you get thinking about Gordowney and you kind of sucks that he's gone and that things have changed with the band and we're getting old. So I'm, I'm glad we talked. That was, was a good yeah, call. I'm glad we got, I'm glad we got that out. I'm, that feels so good. Bruce, you know, Les will be the first one to give you to give you a hug as long as it's virtual and you don't touch his hair. <laughs> I think I think he just he just texted me once, so we're good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have no problem hugging Bruce. He just texted you. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't try to grab my head. I don't, I don't yeah. good. <laughs> According to Billboard.com, the hip had seven number one albums in Canada. The highest an album ever got on the charts in the US was 129. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, end of discussion. Yeah, well, last last <laughs> thought last thought on the hip, and I think part of this is is why I feel like maybe not they're fading away, and maybe they're good with this. It's almost like Led Zeppelin, like when one of the guys is gone, they're gone. None of the other guys have really hey, surfaced in any other bands. Watch your mouth. <laughs> yeah, well, none of uh, I mean they haven't surfaced in other bands, and it doesn't feel like they've been doing lots of music stuff. They've just sort of moved on, and that's I'm a hundred percent fine with that. But just a little bit surprised, I think that they haven't turned up in some other places, and I don't. I haven't dug really hard for that, but at the same time, you'd think it would sort of be news and I haven't seen it. So that's that's kind of surprised me a little bit just about how things have gone since then. Yeah, you might just have to give that some time, Bruce. You know, like think yeah. of uh, what it was like for those guys to lose Gord Downey. It might yeah. take them a few years before they're able to get the band back together and throw in another front man. Yeah. You know, it's not okay. like uh, David Lee yeah. Roth leaving Van Halen. You know, like this <laughs> yeah. was... a. Uh, those guys, these guys were really a family, right? And yeah, they've yeah. been together for a long, long time. So it might be, might be something we'll see in the future. I hope so. You want them to turn up again. You want them to, to maybe make it. You want them to be honored a little bit more like you, just because that's what you would do, right? And maybe that's, that's part of your experience as well. And that, that your experience with the way that they're being received post-Downey is not congruent with your experience of what they, how they should be received. Yeah. Could, could be. I, I actually don't think they'll ever come back together as a band and play. Like, I think, like you said, there's such an iconic frontman that you don't probably try to replace him. I mean, maybe you could, but you might end up with a Gary Sharon, and ooh, that is not good. Um, <laughs> but I, I just sort of expected that they would turn up in other bands or, you know, start to do some other music stuff. But you're exactly right, Les. Yeah. I mean, it's really only been a couple years. And I mean, our guys, yeah. the, our, the Watchmen broke up for what? nine years or 10 years or something. And then, uh, and then they started to show up playing some other music and getting back together again too. So, I mean, I think of that episode a lot and, and I was just curious what you guys thought about how it's gone in the last year and a half. And it doesn't sound like my experience is exactly like yours. And that's a good thing. As a lightning round, we each actually picked two episodes, and then George was the voice of reason in this. I didn't know where producer Mike was, because he didn't help out at all with this, saying we'll never make it through reliving eight episodes. But we each picked two, so we're just going to go lightning round. No debate, no discussion. Uh, One other episode, and just one comment or a quick thought on it. 
kids in sports. I'm getting tired of receiving bullshit psychology emails from all these associations that my kids are in. Keep reminding me that things are fun and they're not interested in the score. I'm just getting tired of people trying to give me advice that goes against everything I've ever experienced as, as someone who likes to play sports. I think people are just making up psychology. I don't believe it. And when I talk to my kids, it, they don't believe it either. So I'm, I wish I would have said that. Good. And, yeah. and I mean, there's nothing wrong with competition. I don't know why that gets a bad rap sometimes, but it, it's all right to want yeah. to be the best. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Steve, which one you got? Well, crazy days. I, I picked uh, kids in sport as well, Georgie. Um, wow. Yeah, no, it's crazy because I've, you know, I'm going to balance that whole uh, what people know of me on the podcast and outside the podcast. We're, we're picking up my parent, those parenting groups again. You guys know how much work I do for parents, but I've got to say something very important. One of the things about the kids in sport, I probably could have railed a little bit harder on some things. One of the things I'm getting tired of seeing is how many parents, and this could be un- unintentional, but it is unfortunate, who are trying to protect their kids from all of these things outside, these things that really would give them some resilience and bolster their own ability to self-regulate, but they're not protecting them from them fucking themselves. And what I mean by that is you've got parents that you know, bitch and bitch bitch about their kids, uh, how important their safety is, yet they don't eat d- dinners with them. They let them on tablets and iPhones instead of actually communicating while they are having dinner. And they actually, the things that they need to look is instead of turning outwards and blaming everybody for their kids' safety, and that everybody should protect them, I think parents should step up and protect their kids from themselves. Booyah! Well said. There's a quick mic drop and an angry old man rant all at once. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm tired of kids getting blamed when they grow up and everyone thinks that at 18 years old, they should all of a sudden be responsible. And the parents, some parents negate the fact that they were programming their kids uh, during the younger years, right? That's all. That's all. Done, done, done. A little heated. Beauty. Well, well said. Lester? Yeah, so one of the pods that we did that I found really interesting, maybe because it really played into one of the ideas that we had conceptually about the pod when we got together was to try to find topics where they affect the four of our lives very differently just because of the different cities that we live in. And the one that I thought was perfect for that was the one that we did on public transportation and public transit. So I thought that was really interesting. And one of the points that I made was that the trouble that Toronto has had and that a lot of uh, uh, municipalities have in planning large infrastructure projects like transit is that they span over several political lifetimes. So the the politicians that campaign on them to get elected are never the politicians that are around that have to raise the taxes to pay for them. So you get in this continuous cycle of uh, never finishing product projects. So interestingly, just an update on that from a Toronto perspective is uh, you guys heard me complain on that pod about how the TTC, the Toronto, Toronto Transit Corporation, has been just a disaster in trying to plan subway expansions and improve transit in the city. I think Toronto ranks as the worst city in the world over like 5 million people for public transit or something. It's got like an atrocious record. Very recently, what happened was the provincial government in Ontario has decided they're just going to wrestle public transit out of the hands of Toronto. And uh, the city doesn't want to give it up. So now there's a political battle where the province is just saying, yeah, we're going to take over the subways in Toronto. It's just going to create it's just creating a bigger shit show. 
It just hands that whole problem to a different set of politicians who run in ridings even further away. So now you've got people voting for candidates who live, you know, way the fuck, you know, 50 miles north of the city who are going to elect someone because they tell them they're going to improve the transit for them to get downtown, which has nothing to do with the millions of people that take the subway and streetcars in downtown Toronto. But I think the public transit uh, situation in Toronto is is going to continue to be shitty for another decade right. as a result of this. Gas has got to be cheap. Gas has got to be cheap. Yeah. Build that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Build those pipelines, baby. Yeah, climate denier. George is a climate denier. <laughs> Have we talked about that on the podcast? That George is a climate denier? Which is interesting because of the four of us, he's supposed to be the scientist. I find it interesting that he yeah. denies science yeah. when it comes to climate change. Uh, you can't hurt me, Les. You can't hurt that. me. You're transit as fuck. You vote for Ford. <laughs> I did not and would never vote for Doug Ford. You can't uh, Don't make me sue, uh, sue you for libel as a result. All of right, you guys. Oh, don't don't make me come me over there. Denier. Okay, Brucey, Brucey, you got to break this up, Brucey. You got to break this up with your second episode. My last thought is on the, the stuff episode. I want to go back to stuff and mostly just because that had such a huge effect on me. It's funny. I can't move through my life now without, I hate to say it, but sort of judging how much stuff other people have or, or don't have. I feel terrible when I have too much stuff. Like it's, it's, this has been really hard on my head. Wow. Uh, I, I don't know, Bruce, you're, all these concerns uh, that have been stimulated by the podcast, I'm wondering if we just got to throw in the towel here or we got to get you as counselor or something, <laughs> yeah. some sort of therapy. I think it's all good stuff. I just used to go through life not thinking about anything. And now I'm right. actually thinking a little bit. Well, you do have a unicycle. Thank God <laughs> <Yeah>. for that. <laughs> to- totally. I've, got, I've still got guys unicycle. The other one that cracked me up is George's quote in the lat when we did the stuff episode that he owns nothing. And now we are constantly getting text pictures of new patio sets and his new car. <laughs> and all the stuff that he's selling on Facebook for $20 an item. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a gigantic lie. <laughs> Anything I say is wrong. Absolutely. It's like milk. It expires in two days. And you, you don't own those yeah. comments anymore. The stuff episode's been hilarious for me just because I evaluate everything in life differently now, and uh, it's pretty funny. Not to say that I'm not still accumulating stuff, but I just I look at everything in a different light. So I, I really loved that episode. I thought it was a good discussion, and it really uh, it was a great one. That's it. Tomato timer's gone, boys. Uh, let's hope that we can do another reflection in 25 more. Who knew? It's been two years, two years plus that we've been on this train. <laughs> well, not only that, Bruce, but we have uh, 25 episodes, 5,000 plus downloads in 17 countries. How's that for a holy shit moment? <laughs> that is actually a pretty good the holy shit moment. People actually listen to us. That's Guy Hansen over there. Prove everything he can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. All right, thanks, Bruce. All right, thank you, guys. Nice talking
Bruce, let us know what's going on with Norplex Pool. We got to get yeah, that yeah. thing built. <laughs> I'm, I'm on it. Keep us in a loop. Snow Day podcast in charge of alumni fundraising. We're going to talk about that next part. Yeah. Just before we wrap it up, we've got an email now, snowdaypod at gmail.com. I know, welcome to 1984. Record a voice memo on your phone and send it to us. We would love to put your voice on the show with comments on what you just heard, questions for the guys, some feedback on any one of the episodes. These guys are my best friends, through thick and thin. We've always been together, we're four of a kind, having fun all day, piling around and laughing away. Just best friends, best friends are we. I love you guys. Thanks too to Shannon Bisson, the secret weapon.